High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. We'll go to Exodus chapter four. How many excited for the word today? Don't worry. I know what time it is. I am not going to keep you until the 11 o'clock service. Uh, I'm going to give you time, I promise. But I'm going to preach fast. But I want to I continue this series we've been doing on ordinary to extraordinary. How many of you have been getting something out of this? How many of you have been blessed? It's been powerful stuff. And today I want to talk a little bit about Moses. And then we're also going to jump to the New Testament uh, in a little bit just to bring forth a, 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 a principle of what we are really drawing out from this account today. I want you to read with me in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Moses was a smart man. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom when he took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he would put it in his hand, put his hand in his bosom again. And he drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be that if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become like blood on the dry land. Verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor, excuse me, neither before uh, nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now Moses is not being a smart man. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. Verse 17, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. Now jump all the way to verse 21. It says this, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. Do all the wonders which I have put in your hand. To give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background here, God has called Moses 
to be a mouthpiece, to be the one that God moves through, to bring the children of Israel, the people of promise, out of Egypt and begin to advance them into purpose and into promise. Yet, even though God called Moses, Moses begins to do what so many of us are guilty of doing when God calls us to do something and he starts doing something that we've all done before. He starts making excuses. How many ever made an excuse to God before when he's told you something, right? How many ever had a prophetic word come over your life? Holy Spirit speaks something in your life and you start making the excuses for why you're the wrong person for the job, for why you are unable, for why you are uncalled, for why you are unqualified, because you're just ordinary. But God, listen, I want you to understand the way it says, God doesn't make ordinary people. God makes everyone called to do something extraordinary. He makes you to do something that is bigger than what it seems like you are capable of doing. But a lot of people, as a matter of fact, I will say as far as say most people will never fulfill the greatness in their lives because they believe excuses. And anytime you begin to operate in excuses, it will always birth disobedience. Excuses will always birth disobedience. When you begin to excuse why you can't, you will begin to be disobedient to the voice of the Lord in your life. Time after time, and I can give you a list of people, which I'm not going to, a list of people I've seen do this before, my own eyes, people who start making excuses. Excuses birth disobedience. Disobedience ends up in disappointment. Excuses birth disobedience, and disobedience always ends up in disappointment. The enemy will always want to give you an excuse to disobey. And by the way, a lot of times he'll make that excuse sound really good and humble. Y'all awake this morning? The enemy will always give you that excuse. The devil will empower you through excuses and justification to say no to destiny and to say no to greatness. God had already given Moses everything he needed to fulfill his call. And in your life, God has already given you everything you need to be great. You are not waiting on anything. We have to get over this idea that I will be great when God gives me fill in the blank. When he gives me more money, when he gives me more influence, right? When I get more followers on Instagram, y'all with me this morning? Whenever I get a platform and a microphone, then I'll become great like God's called me to be great. When I get the new job, when I get the new house, when I get this, when I get more anointing, when I get more gifting, then I'll become what God's called me to be. But until God gives that to me, I'm just gonna be regular old ordinary me. God has already given you and gifted you and skilled you and anointed you to be able to step into the greatness that he has called you to. You are not waiting on anything. All that Moses needed was a rod in his mouth and God gave him both of them. He didn't, need short, he, didn't need, he didn't need an army. He didn't need a tank. He didn't need chariots. He didn't need anything like that to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that's what everybody's brain would think, right? 
Moses, he never says this, but she, you can see, God, give me an army. And then I'll go and lead the people of God out of Egypt. But God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What have I already given you? What have I already gifted you with? What have I already made a way for? God will always call you to do what is seemingly impossible. Always. God always calls us to greatness. And greatness always involves overcoming great obstacles. As a matter of fact, if, if, if your destiny doesn't involve overcoming some obstacles, it's probably not from God to begin with. Everything great that God ever calls you to do will, in, will, will require you to overcome some obstacles that look difficult. It will make you a little bit uncomfortable. It will stretch you and bring you outside of your comfort zone. If you're just comfortable doing everything God's ever called you to do, you're probably not really hearing the voice of the Lord. God, here's the, understand why I say this. God really likes making his people uncomfortable sometimes. He likes stretching you in places that you don't like to be stretched. I've told you all this story before. Growing up, I was one of those, I, I was incredibly shy. Incredibly shy. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be around people, right? And not wanting to talk to people is not a great recipe for a pastor. I didn't want people to look at me. I did not want to be the center of attention. Once again, not a great recipe for ministering and standing in front of people all the time. I tell this story, I remember a birthday, I think we were at a Ryan Steakhouse. We were, and my mom knows the exact story I'm telling. She goes, we were at a Ryan Steakhouse, traveling somewhere, God knows where. Dad was preaching somewhere. And uh, it was my birthday, or near my birthday. And uh, you know how it goes when you're at a restaurant on your birthday. Somebody tells people that it's your birthday. And then in America, we do this thing, and all of a sudden, and little like seven-year-old me probably immediately goes into assessment mode, right? Anybody who knows me can tell you I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a cerebral thinker and I analyze things. And if I get quiet, a lot of times it's because I'm thinking. I don't even have to tell my staff. I said, I'm sorry, y'all just give me a second. I'm thinking about some things. And uh, seven-year-old me decided that what would be the best option to avoid being seen in this moment would be to take myself and crawl underneath the table, which the Ryan's employees were approaching, clapping to sing me happy birthday. And I remember, he's gonna say this didn't happen, but I remember <laughs> my dad looking at me and saying, get up here. And I went, he said, get up here. I said, so then he didn't just make me get up there. He made me stand in the chair. For everybody to see, I never crawled under a table on my birthday again. He said, there you go, that's right. At our date night event we just had, how many, how many of y'all went to date night at Hibachi with us? All right, I know who it was, I found out. 
It's about a week and a half after my birthday. And I heard a drum start coming and clapping. And I went, oh, Lord, David Leach. <laughs> Couldn't crawl under the table, though. I just sat there with a smirk on my face. Well, I'm going to find out who did this. I said, all I say is, I was the guy who didn't like people looking at me. I didn't like attention. I didn't like any of that. That was completely antithetical to who I was. I remember at my, my, my brother's baby dedication crying because we had to go stand in front of people and people were going to be looking at me. And God looks at that and he goes, I'm going to take you and you know what I'm going to call you to do? You're going to stand in front of people and you're going to preach and you're gonna, everybody's eyes are going to be on you. Well, thanks God. I appreciate it greatly. He doesn't call you what you feel comfortable to do. He calls you to do what he's called you to do. But he will equip you and make you able, even when you feel like you are unable and you are weak, he will give you what you need to do what you're called to do. Because listen, whenever it's outside of your comfort zone, you can't take any glory in what he's doing in your life. That's why he does it. I can't take any glory in what I do. This is not who I am but it's who he called me to be. It's not what my flesh wants to do, but it's what he's called me to be. God's already given you what you need. He called Israel. You're going to go and you're going to possess a land where the inhabitants are bigger and stronger than you. They're more powerful than you. But he says, but I've already given you what you need. I've already given you victory. Listen, God will never call you to do something and not equip you. Ever. That would, be, that would be cruel for God to call you to do something and then say, but I know you're not able to do it, and I'm not going to give you what you need to do it. That would not be a good father. That wouldn't be a good God. And how many of you know that we serve a good God? As a matter of fact, I was talking, Dad and I were talking about this this week. He's better than you think he is. No matter how good you think God is, no matter how great you think he is, you, you can't even wrap your brain around it. He's better than you've ever thought. He's greater than you've ever imagined. He's more faithful than you can imagine. He's more full of mercy than we can fathom. And God is going to give you what you need to do what you're called to do. So what do we have to do? How, how do we partner with this, right? How do we step into it? First thing is really simple. You have to stop making excuses. Well, when God gives me a platform, then I'll minister. He's already given you a platform everywhere you go. Open your mouth. Well, when God gives me money, then I'll give and I'll, I'll sow and I'll help people. He's already blessed you. What are you waiting on? What you are doing with what you have will be indicative of what you'll do when God releases more in your life. If you can't be faithful with what you have, and you make excuses that you can't use what you have until you have more, you'll never have more. And if you get more, you're not going to do anything else with it. You will never do more in the future than what you're doing with what you have currently. I think about myself. It's easy to use myself as an example, good and bad sometimes. I remember in the eighth grade, I was going to school right down the road, up Star Avenue, Merritt Brown Middle School. And we had, a, had a, a part of our English class and our advanced English class was that we had to, we had to do a, a, a public speech in front of our classmates. And we had this great 
tagline that we had to keep it under, which was growing up in today's world. And this is like 1999. So the main thing that people are talking about growing up in today's world is just so great. It's wonderful because we have the, this new fangled thing called the internet. And it only takes 27 minutes to log on and open a webpage, right? You get any information you want, right? Talking about all these things and, and I make the decision that basically, and I think we were given like five minutes, five to 10 minutes, and I make the decision that basically what I'm gonna do is in the eighth grade, at 13, 14 years old, whatever you are in the eighth grade, I'm gonna get up and I'm just gonna preach to everybody. That's exactly what I did in my eighth grade class. And I was also a very good preacher because I did not go five or 10 minutes. I went like 20 minutes, right? And I didn't realize it at the time, but we, this was a competition in our class and I won in the class. And then I go to the school and I went in the school. I ended up going all the way to state, but uh, along the way, there was one of these, these speeches that, that happened and there was a girl in there with me and I really talked about the Lord and how good he was in this speech, which by the way, let me say this also, while I'm just here for a moment, I wasn't the kid who sat alone in the lunchroom and was ostracized from people. I had a lot of friends. Okay, you can actually have friends and stand for Jesus at the same time, kids. You don't have to pick if you're going to be popular or if you're going to be holy. You don't have to pick if you're going to have friends or if you're going to sit alone in the lunchroom. And to have friends, you've got to compromise. But if you're going to sit alone, then, then you can stand for Jesus. But you can stand alone. It doesn't have to be that way. I said it doesn't have to be that way. I had friends who weren't saved, but they knew where I stood. I had people that acted crazy, but they knew where I stood. And I didn't go along with their craziness. And honestly, most of the time when they got around me, they straightened their craziness up. They may have done it when I wasn't around, but they knew where I stood. And they weren't going to do it whenever I was around. All right. So in one of these competitions, this girl comes up to me. And I'm, I'm going to go fast, I promise. This girl comes up to me and she goes, I hear you talking about God, but I need you to answer. I, I used to go to church. I don't believe in God anymore. Let me tell you why I don't believe in God anymore. Because I prayed to God to heal my grandmother when she was sick and she died and she was not healed. What do you have to say about that? I'm like 14 years old. I don't have any sort of theological training, right? I mean, I, I, I know the Bible, but I haven't, you know, I haven't delved into deep questions like how do you answer these questions when people have them? And honestly, I answered it the same way I would probably still answer it today, even then as a kid, just off the cuff, not even knowing. I said, listen, I don't know the situation with your grandma. I don't have the answer to every question, but I do know this. I know that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he's about you. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that pain, but even through it all, Jesus still loves you and Jesus is still good. That was it. And she was not happy with that answer. A couple years pass. And uh, this person was somebody I knew. I didn't have any classes with them. wasn't friends with them. Never saw them. A couple years later, I actually went with our youth pastor at the time to meet some of our other youth uh, for lunch in the Rutherford High School lunchroom back when you could do that. I don't think they really hardly let you do it anymore, but when, whenever we could do that. And I went with him and I heard this person yelling my name from across the lunchroom. And I look back over my shoulder and it's that young lady 
who I didn't leave really on like good terms with. I was fine. She was not. And she's yelling my name, right? And she's coming towards me and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> What's about to happen? Am I about to get chewed out again by this girl in the middle of this school lunchroom? And she looked at me and she goes, I don't know if you remember. I said, oh, I remember you. She said, you, you shared that with me whenever you did that, that speech. And you know what? I really listened to what you had to say. And I was mad. But a few weeks later, I went back to church. And I got my life right. And I went up and I rededicated my life to Jesus. And I've been going to church every day since. <laughs> Praise God. Listen, I said that to tell you this. I don't stand here today with a microphone because this is where I started. I started in a school classroom, ministering to people who were broken and being faithful with the 20 people who were in that room. And when one person came to me to ask a question who was broken, I was faithful with the one. Don't ask for the multitude when you're not faithful with the one. Don't ask for God to give you more when you're not faithful with what you have. What's in your hand right now? What's in front of you to do? What are you able to do this moment? You be faithful with that, and then you let God elevate and bring more. Listen, God did more through Moses than he did just whenever he was talking, uh, talking to God at the bush. He does incredible and powerful things, but it starts with him being faithful there. God gave him everything that he needed. Turn to Mark chapter 6 really quick. I'm going to do this real fast. Mark chapter 6. Are you making excuses? Or are you being productive? What are you doing with what God's given you? Are you being lethargic or are you getting busy? God has given you the tools that you need to become great. Mark 6 verse 35 says this. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread so that they have something, excuse me, for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37. But he answers and said to them, you give them something to eat. Cool, Jesus. And they said to him, you want us to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Stop there. You know this story. This is where Jesus feeds the multitude. He feeds the 5,000. There's a young man who is there who has five loaves and two fish. And by the way, if you grew up like me in church, if you ever went to Sunday school, how many of y'all remember flannel grass? Y'all remember those when they put them on the board? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody was, was blonde hair, blue-eyed, white in the Bible. Incredibly historically accurate, right? In the Middle East. And if you're like me, you remember the five loaves and two fish. That was a joke, by the way, if you couldn't tell. Was not being serious. I need to clarify. Sometimes my sense of humor can be a little bit dry. Five loaves and two fish. And if you're like me, you saw this little boy on this flannel glass with the, with the five loaves and the two fish. And what he really looked like he had was five pub sub party subs 
and two entire salmons. Y'all know what I'm talking about? First of all, this was a child's lunch. He was not carrying three, 15 feet of subs and two entire sandwiches. Now listen, I have a teenage boy. I know they can eat, but not that much, right? And in reality, if you do a little study, first of all, the way they're gonna preserve fish is generally it's gonna be dried or it's gonna be packed in salt. And more than likely, historians and theologians would tell you what he had was something more akin uh, to some sardines. And his, yeah, that sound delicious. And the bread were probably about the size of like a, of like a, about like that, you know, kind of like a, a half dollar, if y'all remember half dollars, probably about the size of something like that for the bread that he would have had. And what this boy does is whenever he hears that they're looking for food, he presents what he has in his hand. Jesus does a miracle, but the miracle is not possible without the little boy taking what he has and putting it in the hands of Jesus. Right? It's not just what Jesus does. It's that the little boy is willing to take what he has and put it in the hands of somebody who's greater than him. So this is what happens. God gives us things. He, he, he graces us. He gives us giftings. And then what we do is we turn around and we give it back to him. Because whenever we give it back to him, it's able to become something much bigger than what it is if it stays in our possession. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You, how many loaves do you have already? You give them something. What do you have? So often we're looking for other people to be the answer to all the problems. And Jesus is looking and saying, what do you have? What have I put in your hands? Man, I need somebody to reach my coworkers. What's in your hands? Man, somebody really needs to reach my school. What's in your hands? Man, our community really needs to be made right. What's in your hands? Man, I really need a miracle. What's in your hands? Man, I really wish that our job would come up and, and, and our, our business would break through. What's in your hands? They had in their hands what they needed. They didn't need a food truck. They needed some loaves and some fish. They needed a, a couple, five pieces of bread and a couple sardines. Use what you've got. God's given you everything you need. And by the way, what happens? I want you to hear me. This is what happens. There's this great process. If you take what you have and you put it in his hands and he will bless it and he will break it and it multiplies. Because hear this, you have to allow yourself, your flesh to be broken for it to become something greater. He couldn't multiply it until first he broke it. He didn't just bless it. It had to be broken too. He will bless it, but he will also break you of you to multiply and make what you have greater than what it was before. To make it go to a new level and a new place. Sometimes that uncomfortability we're feeling, what it is is Jesus is taking us and he's bending us a little bit. You ever felt like you've been broken before? Sometimes that brokenness is to multiply you into something bigger than you've ever been. Sometimes, sometimes you go through seasons where you feel like, man, this is really tough. And, and you have to understand he's with you the whole way to make you bigger, to make you stronger, to make you greater than you've, already, uh, you've ever been. You already have what you need. Now use it. This is the principle. 
This is what we're seeing. What's in your hand might seem like it's insufficient, like it's not enough, like it's not able. But when you allow him to bless it, when you allow him to break it, it becomes greater than you ever thought it could be. So as we close, for real, this morning, this is what I want to tell you. To go from ordinary to extraordinary, be faithful with what's in your hand. Be faithful with what God has given you. If you'll be faithful to use what you already have, God will always give you more. I said it already, but Moses didn't need a tank and an F-22 to bring the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He had a staff in his hand. The disciples didn't need a food truck in order to feed the multitudes. They had five loaves and two fish. If I would have had time, I would have gone into a couple other stories, but David didn't need a bazooka to kill Goliath. He needed a sling and, 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 and some stones. The widow woman didn't need a bag of flour to make it through. She had a handful and that's all she needed. God will always give you what you need. And even though it might seem like it's insufficient, God will give you exactly what you need to be great. He will give you exactly what you need to see a miracle. He will give you exactly what you need to go from ordinary to extraordinary. You don't need more. You just need to use what you've got. You possess that which you need to be great. What's in your hand? Start using what you've got and watch what God does. Will you stand up to your feet this morning? Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.